All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, today we're doing another Tuesdays with Caroline. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, so we're back. So uh, Tuesdays with Caroline. The idea is just to to pick your brain and see what's sort of grinding you this week. So um, yeah, why don't you why don't you hit us up here, Caroline? What do you think? So I guess the thing I was thinking about the most, well, what kind of started me off was um, thinking about things that I have taken from my time spent at PAW and how that has changed how I just practice as like a doctor in general. So not just on the small animal side, but also with large animals. And I feel like with it's, it's really changed the way I approach like my consultations and, and like just informed consent in general is like a much, you know, people talk about, um, and I know we've had many conversations about that. I don't know how many of them have been recorded, so we'll try and capture some of that today, I guess. But um, with how to um, toe the line between bringing up a, like going through the list of informed consent and possibilities for diagnostics and possibilities for treatment versus like trying to coerce someone into following what you feel like the diagnostic and treatment plan should be and so like I said that's even influenced myself on the large animal side as far as like approaching cases where um, you know people are like oh I feel like I should have done more I feel like I should have should have tried this or I should have done this and and whatever and I'm like I just leave it up to the farmer now like I tell them these are our options this is the things I can do these are the risks associated with doing these different things and ultimately like it's their decision you know do a lot of times it's whether or not to go to surgery sure and so i'm discussing like medical management with the possibility of reoccurrence and us having to come back out and recheck her later versus like do we jump into surgery today and for them a lot of times the risk is has to do more with economics um so there is that component to it but um but yeah, it's just it's interesting. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, good. Yeah, yeah. Good, good for you on that. I mean, it's it. it I, I agree. You know, I think my biggest thing when I finally made the switch over to being an informed consent doctor because I think in school it's not something that's instinctively taught. You know, it's like you no. are kind of. I don't want to say pushed or twisted or whatever, but it's like you kind of you're lean. Gold, you're taught gold standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold standard and um, all, like almost kind of like algorithm, you know, where it's just like, yeah. okay, it's it's gold standard. So we're going to give the best recommendation according to, this, uh, according to this algorithm. And then because we are in a tapered part of society where the top 1% of clientele is here, the top 5% of clientele is here, no one's going to tell us no. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's you just you right. learn that those are just the tests that you're doing, not that it's an actual conversation on everything. You know, there's I, I feel I feel like when you are kind of in the gold standard um, type setting, 
or ivory tower type setting is that there's almost a disconnect between the tests that you run and the treatments that are available. It's, well, we're just doing all of the tests and we're just doing all of the treatments rather than, right. oh, well, I have this one test that's going to provide me with that data and then that's going to lead us towards that potential end and then this is going to be towards that end. Um, right. So, yeah, no, I think once I made that switch over to being an informed consent doctor. And then ultimately, of course, building an organization on informed consent. Um, I'm incredibly happy that it has kind of affected and helped you the way that it has, because there's, um, it comes back to serving the patient. If we are talking more about how to manage the patient's disease, well-being, suffering, you know, quality of life, those types of things, and we're not serving the caregiver's needs, whether it be emotional or whatever, you know, in, in that regard, um, their, whatever their interests are, um, I think in the end we're going to hit the mark more than we're going to miss it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. good, 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 good. Yeah. It came up because, um, my colleague had a case and so basically the situation was that I was on call for our large animal side, but I was working in the small animal side and it was late, late in the day when this client had called and um, had a sick cow that they wanted one of us to come out and look at. So my colleague went out and um, it was really, really cold that day, like close to zero probably. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this particular farm is a free stall barn, which means that um, it's pretty open airy and there's an open ridge vent along the top. And most of the ventilation is done just, like passively so it's it's fairly cold it's similar to um the temperature outside just with more of a windbreak so you don't have the added wind chill but it is still fairly chilly um and the issue that came up because my colleague called me because she was like i don't know i don't know what to do with this case and she said the cow probably needs surgery you know it's late in the day she's like i don't think that i'm gonna get done in time basically before her shift ended and so she's like she was calling partly to see if i would be available to come out and like finish for her since i was the doctor that was on call and but she was like i just don't know what to do because you know she she should have she needs surgery we should do the surgery, but it's cold outside and she's already unstable. And so I'm not comfortable with like opening up her abdomen when it's this cold outside because it might make her more shocky and I don't know what to do. And so I told her, I was like, honestly, I would just give him his options. Right. Like, I was like, I would just talk, talk to the farmer and be like, okay, so here are your options. We can right. cut the cow, but realize that these are my concerns with cutting the cow today. Or we can, you know, do medical management and we may have to come back out tomorrow and do the surgery. And at least we checked the weather and the weather was supposed to be better. Um, but I was like, I would give him his options because I said, I don't have a problem with coming out and finishing the surgery for you. Um, you know, that's no problem. So she ended up, you know, discussing it with him or whatever. And they did come to a compromise. Um, what they ended up doing was they were milking at the time and the parlor is generally kept warmer than the free stall just because there's lots of like piping and whatever obviously they're milking and so you don't want pipes freezing when you're trying to milk cows um so it's generally a lot warmer in there and they actually stopped milking one side of the parlor so that they could use the other side to do the surgery um and so that was our compromise so it was it was a warmer environment for us to do it and then i came out and finished for her but 
I was like, just have a conversation with him. Like, right. honestly, I was like, I don't think you need to tell him one thing or the other. Like, you know, give him his options, run him through what, you know, what your concerns are and let him decide, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because you're providing the individual the respect, you know, and ultimately, you know, and just saying, you know, bringing them into the conversation on, well, we could do surgery out here, but it's, you know, really too cold and I'm concerned with doing it out here. And, you know, potentially, I'm not saying whether this was or this wasn't a um, sort of barrier for your colleague, um, but then for the then for the producer to say, um, you know, hey, let's just stop milking one side. It's warm in there. Yeah. You know, so if, right. you know, your colleague was stuck in the mindset of only these two options because your colleague had felt, you know, responsible for reading all variables to make a decision on the variables that she could only see from her perspective. We're not, res- right, exactly. we're not, we're not respecting an entire other perspective, you know, in, yep. in just the, the problem solving. So yeah, good work. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where even when I have, I mean, you to some capacity, but I'm even with the other doctors that I work with and they come up to me and say, you know, here's this problem, here's this problem, here's this problem, here's my da-da-da, you know, kind of the same thing. What should I go tell these caregivers? And I'm like, well, why are you having a conversation with me? <laughs> you know, I'm right. like, you've already thought this problem all the way through. Just go talk to them. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. It's, I think that's an interesting, um, like, you want to have the right answer though. Right. There's a, there's a dichotomy there where you need to be able to bring value into the room of like being able to have multiple correct answers, Mm -hmm. but basically like setting up the conversation as like, we can go this way, this way, or this way, but we really can't. I mean, at this point, I mean, technically you could stop also, but it's, there's, there's really, you don't, you don't just go in. It was the conversation we had about like diagnostic data, right? You sure. don't just go in and just blurt it all out. Right, right. It's a directive, yeah. but you're not necessarily providing the ultimate solution. You're yeah. it's, I think there's a weird balance for a lot of people there because like you want to, even, even if it's not to like inflate your own ego or try yeah. to say that you are ultimately worth like way, 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 way more, yeah. you still want to be able to provide some level of value. And I think yeah. people finding that, uh, that level of understanding within the informed consent process is probably more difficult than you and I, and, uh, some of our doctors really even realize for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Even, and I, yeah go, that, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I feel like that's a good, that's a good point. Cause I probably struggle with it more, you know, for me not working in ER quite as long as I have with cattle, I'm much more comfortable. Like for me, I was like, Oh yeah, totally. Like this is exactly what I would do because it's, I just, I'm more comfortable in that environment. I've been in it longer versus sure. I think Ben's point. I think I do struggle with that a little bit more. Like I feel like I have to prove myself yeah. a little bit more in the, the small animal ER side where I don't feel like I have to do that as much on the large animal side anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think when we look at our, uh, you know, star chart, which we haven't had a podcast on yet, it's just the confidence part, you know, so yeah. Well, spoiler. <laughs> it's a spoiler. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but I, I think yeah. it's more than that though. Um, because it, it, it is also competence. It's how do I have this conversation? How do I do yeah. this well? Because you can be as confident as you want, but if you don't know actually how to 
say the words in the right order. Yeah. Like you're yeah. just the talk gonna, path. You're, I mean, yeah. yeah. If you don't have that talk yeah. path down, but you're super confident, you can read as arrogant. Yeah. I mean, there, there yes, is definitely was, an art to that. Yep. The first several yeah. years of my career was right. that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, so we have a mentee up here, uh, last week and for three weeks. Um, and that was basically how I've been running through these few weeks is, you know, the, the first week I'm like, listen, just learn the process week two. I'm like, just learn the talk path and week three, you'll be out there doing it, you know? And it's, it's just, I mean, I've said it in podcasts before. It's just efficiency of words. Yeah. You know, you get the same yeah. idea across, um, you know, and, uh, uh you had mentioned value uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, in that informed consent process. And uh, I've actually gotten a few negative reviews um, because of the way in which I establish informed consent. It doesn't happen too often, but I've had a couple of caregivers kick back on saying like, you know, he didn't tell me anything that Google didn't already tell me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> awesome. So, you know, we had a well-educated caregiver coming in who, you know, I had the same amount of information to tell him about, you know, maybe it was a vomiting patient or who knows, whatever it was. Um, and I think what I try to do, uh, whenever I go through informed consent, you know, because a lot of that is at least trying to do topical education on some of, you know, not hitting so deep on one thing. You try to talk a little bit about everything. Um, is just the idea that there's no magic in it. You know, I think people assume that there's some big fancy answer to every single problem that exists, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, no, not usually. It's usually very, very practical answers. And, you know, that's uh, so I think that's the value, you know, like you said, in saying that people are going to kind of value it different ways. But um, it's it, it leads to a much better dialogue, I should say, when you focus more upon what the other person is, you know, their intent, essentially, what do they want to get out of it? Um, which is tough because sometimes what they want out of it is not always realistic. And from an experience yeah. perspective too, is a lot of the uh, teaching I'm assuming just from my very limited exposure to the educational system is um, to a point being taught um, that there's an extreme amount of value in being a miracle worker, yeah. but not really a lot of value on being a good day to day type doctor. Yeah. No, yeah, I yeah, Carolina feelings on that, but I th- yeah, I think that's been around for decades. You know, it's it's the it's the next level of us versus them, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. you know, it's you know, one layer of us versus them is uh, the veterinary professionals versus the caregivers, which that's inappropriate. That's mm-hmm. it's not an us versus them; is we're together. Um, the next is the uh, referral type setting to your GPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a cultural issue that I've tried to tackle for several years. Um, and it is tough because, you know, on one hand, you don't want to just continue to trash the work of your colleagues. Cause you're not always there. You don't always know what yeah. is discussed. It's usually the people's perspective on what they think. Um, but then on the other hand, when you actually do get medical records from some of these and it's just like, man, that was kind of a really shitty workup, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, they did spend too much money or they really didn't do this, um, appropriate to the patient, you know, so it's, it, it's tough. And, um, actually I did have this conversation with our mentee here, um, this last week is, you know, where do, where do you kind of draw the line? I, uh, through everything that I've been doing with PAW, 
Um, and even before it was kind of paw, I haven't made a ton of friends in the veterinary profession, at least regionally or locally. Mm -hmm. I think more on a interstate level I have. Um, but obviously a lot of what we're doing is, you know, challenging the norm. You know, right. it's not, it's not what people are used to and change is scary, you know? So yeah. when we have a different business model that may challenge the way in which they do practice or the way in which they perform medicine, um, it's seen as challenging and it's seen as a, us versus them. Um, but I think when I was talking to the mentee, the question is where do you kind of draw the line on if you do see a blatant, blatant negligent issue, you know, where we have the see something, say something we have in our education system, uh, or no, I'm sorry, culture and core values. Uh, we have the proactive case review. So it's like, if we see a problem, we're going to handle that internally as best as we can to create opportunities to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's the line mm -hmm. is where do you draw the yeah. line when you see problems from our colleagues or you see, you know, you know, um, in, in case management or whatever it happens to be, um, where do you draw the line in trying to help other veterinarians along in their career, other veterinary professionals, other veterinary nurses and technicians? How do you help them along in their career? Um, the state of the affairs in our profession is as such that any feedback of or criticism in any capacity is seen as a reprimand or a challenge mm -hmm. when it's not. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's just an attack. Yeah, it's an attack, yeah. but it's an opportunity to learn. So that right. was kind of the one of the things I come up in conversation was um, I don't really try to integrate with the veterinarians in the area to try to teach them, yeah. you know, on some of these things um, simply because the reception is judgment. The reception right. is critique, but it's honest for me, it's just an opportunity to teach. Um, yeah. I would say for us, our line is the fact that our expectations internally are um, highly accurate and effective medical records that do get sent back. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like if they look at a case and say, oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Right. Or I missed that thing. Yep. Like, you know, maybe they're you're you're putting the actionable item on their own self-awareness and yes. understanding of the case. Right. Yes. Yeah. But you have right. it, no matter how hard you push, you're going to have no control over that portion no yeah. matter what. Yeah. So it's just yeah. accepting the reality uh -huh. that you can only control so many things. Yeah. You have to put your focus um, into creating value outside of that front. Yeah. Cause yep. you know, if they show up to, in, to our door, you know, like uh, how many times have we gotten the, the ultrasound referral? Sure. Right. Yes. That's so a common one. It's a very yeah. common one. So yeah. they, they show up with the ex expectation that they are going to receive diagnostic data yep. and that's going to be the end. And that's going to be shipped off yeah. and yeah. back, you know, yeah. to their other veterinarian. It's so funny. You brought up that example too, because that was the example that came after that. Yeah. So when I was talking to the mentee, I was like, where do you draw the line? You know, informed consent, the expectation yeah. of caregiver actually used the ultrasound as that example. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a common one though. Yeah. Yeah. We see it a lot. And uh -huh. it's, um, before I ever do an ultrasound on a patient, I'm going to do just my normal process. I, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. while they may be there for an ultrasound, uh, uh, they're there for a consultation and a physical exam right. and right. an establishment right. of informed consent before I spend their money. That's $75. If they come up for an ultrasound that could range anywhere from 85 to say $250, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, I would rather just spend $75 yeah. and then maybe that's it. Right. You know, um, cause it's more, it serves the patient better, you know, mm -hmm. and, and if, if that means that, you know, the patient's there for general pain, but 
let's say you do an ultrasound and it's like, okay, if I find a tumor, are you going to do surgery? No. If I find a tumor, are you going to go for oncology? No. If I find a tumor, are you going to euthanize? No. Okay. So then what are we going to we do? We don't need. Yeah. So can I take. What is our end game here? <laughs> what is our end game? There you go, yeah. Caroline. What's our end game? And for me, it's like, yeah, let me just take that 200 and some odd dollars and put it into anti-inflammatories and pain meds, anti-nausea meds for the right. next few days to few weeks. Hospice care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spend your, spend yep. your money more appropriately. But I have realized, of course, that um, while I was trained under the medicine that we perform diagnostics that change how patients are treated, um, I have come to accept that also some people just want to know. Uh-huh. You know, so some of it, yeah. there's a constant, there's a, you know, t- uh, yeah, they just feel better having some knowledge before decisions are made, which is totally appropriate. Right. You but know. that's not your decision. Not my make. decision. Yeah, exactly. But right. we're still going to have a discussion of informed consent to make sure that they're getting value. Because right. um, I, I think where that came from was um, when I was getting these referrals for ultrasound and it was before we had taken over. And I think our ultrasounds were like several hundred, I mean, three, 400 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we dropped that after we took over. But anyway, um, it would, they would come in, have the diagnostic performed, and I'm like, didn't find anything. And they're like, well, why the hell did we do it then? And I was just like, well, I, <laughs> you were, <laughs> you were here for that, right. you know. So some of it is just response to the customer service side. So yeah, there's also the um, uh, inappropriately perceived disparagement by the referring vet when you don't do the oh, diagnostic absolutely. that was the referral. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I don't make friends. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I sent them there for this test. I'm like, they didn't fucking want it. Right. You know, like, I can't, I'm not going to take their money. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, like, even at a tertiary, like, even if you send a patient to, like, a teaching hospital, um, like one of the universities, you still don't just admit them and do the ultrasound. Yeah. Like, you make a consultation with internal med or you make a consultation with whomever, and, like, yeah. they are still going to want have a valid BCPR and like evaluate the patient on their own. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, you can't, you can't do medicine in a complete vacuum. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Well, that's why I have a hard time when people are like, let me know what you think about these x-rays. I'm like, <laughs> it's right. a dog. I need signal <laughs> <men> and... <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, you're exactly right. You can't do it sterily or it's like, you know, uh, take a look at this blood work. What do you think? And I'm like, I, I, some dots on a graph, man. Like, is it a cat? Is it, what's it here for? Yeah. You, know, right. you need the story. Right. When we were at uh, MSU this last week, um, a big push that we had in the uh, the presentation that we had at the college, um, my my piece was it had been really about a veterinarian ex- accepting the the type and level of volume that they're of value that they're able to provide. Right. So the thing that the big thing I was trying to combat was basically, um, stop discounting yourself. Yeah. You're putting yourself through hell, both time wise, work wise and financially to create something that most people can't do. Right. And you need to be okay with the fact that what you do is of high value and then ultimately charge appropriately. And I think what you're with, what we're talking about, it's something that does, it seems like it actually kind of takes away from that, uh, it, at least when I'm listening to this. But the the spin that I would put on it is um, in the instance of the ultrasound referral, yeah. still the most valuable thing that a veterinarian can provide in that instance is a high-quality physical exam, <laughs> a high-quality uh, ac- patient history acquisition, and um, ultimately yeah. a high-quality consultation yeah. before that diagnostic ever even takes place. Because yeah. Yeah. in the event right. where it is um, you know, the one that opts to not uh, perform the diagnostic. I mean, I've seen you do that a number of times. Yeah. Those people leave 
like weirdly happy. Yeah. Like not necessarily <laughs> that they're like excited about yeah. the results because yeah, yeah, yeah. typically it's a very pragmatic decision. We yeah. understand what's yeah. like some of the variables that are in play on that front. But t- it's like th- they're they're basically saying thank you yeah. for not taking us through the ring around. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that only comes out of the idea of where are you placing that value? Is the value in being able to have the like the absolute one hundred percent accurate diagnosis, or is it doing the you know it like you said, Caroline? It's not a vacuum. There's an art form yeah. to those discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think isn't really being taught, but, yeah. it, but ultimately does source, I think pretty directly out of that informed consent process. Yeah. Or if you go through that, the way that we, that we do it, at least as I understand it, it's pretty hard to not hit that at least a couple times. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. even if you're not good at it, right. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to talk about what's available yeah. and then let them make a decision. So even if your um, talk path isn't great, if you focus on the idea of just informed consent over time, I yeah. would say that you're going to start to figure it out. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think, um, yeah, Janessa had actually called me about a case, um, here this, um, this last week about an uh, anemic patient following dental. And I mean, the answer was staring her right in the face, you know, and it's, it was just one of those where, um, you know, to then have the discussion on informed consent with the caregiver about what this is, what we can do, what we can manage it. It's just, you know, you're exactly right. You miss, you know, uh, uh Gretzky say you miss a, uh, um, it's all the shots you don't take. 100% of the shots you never take, you know. So it's like some of those, yeah, you just have to, you know, take your shots and have the conversation and fumble through it a little bit and ultimately end up trusting your gut. And if you kind of miss the mark, it's like you still tried to hit a mark and you just try harder next time. Right. Um, you know, yeah. and again, it's just that comfortable level to fail, um, you know, which, which again, is, is totally fine. So it's... Well, and you take the case that you just had, Caroline, with the surgery, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the comfortable level of failure What would have been much, much less without the opportunity of providing that uh, caregiver like the or the understanding of the risk factors on all decision fronts, right? And just letting them ultimately mm-hmm. make that decision for themselves because as long as they understand the risk factors well enough, like that just provided you all the cushion of actual failure. Like obviously right. don't be negligent. Yeah. Yes. Do your job well, yeah. but yeah. as long as you're able to fulfill that front, there's no, there's no right. opportunity for really any sort of kickback, regardless of case conclusion. Correct. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's, there's risk associated with what almost a hundred percent of the things that we do. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could say that a physical exam is benign, but even then, like, hypothetically, if you're have a dog with a pio and you palpate their abdomen hard enough, you could cause it to rupture, I guess. But like, that's what I mean is that you, you there's always going to be risks, even with like vaccination and whatever. And just having that conversation with the caregiver so that they're, you know, aware of the things that are going on. Like you said, they're, what do you call it? Falling, failing, yeah, failing forward. forward. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Oh, that's a hundred percent of what informed consent is. I mean, cause honestly, I mean, even, even in the circumstances, I mean, where, um, let's say you have cases undergo legal litigation or they go under state board review or, you know, whatever it is, um, is it almost always exclusively comes back to, well, you know, were you able to establish informed consent? Um, but almost exclusively the anger comes from miscommunication. Yeah. I, I didn't oh, yeah. know that was available. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, this wasn't explained. I didn't understand the risks. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I don't know. So it's just like you said with, uh, you know, your colleague and the producer is it was like, okay, here's what it is. You know, here's the two things. Um, these are the barriers that I see before me. And he's like, ah, I have a solution to that. Let's just shut down half of the milk parlor and do it there. Ah, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. n- now we can move forward with it. Now we've mitigated and managed that amount of risk. It wasn't that the risk of surgery because was completely abated. It's not. It's not like there was no risk in what they were doing because it was still right. kind of a crummy circumstance. It's still a surgery. Yeah, yeah. It's still a surgery. However, now we're it's a little less. Right. And now, yep. now you know, someone was get, the, the caregiver, or at least in this case, the producer was given the opportunity to you know be a part of that decision making process rather than just being told. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so if it was like, oh, we did surgery, you know, uh, out, you know, uh, in, in the, in the freestyle and the cow ended up dying and he was like, why did it die? It's like, Oh, it's too cold out here. Why didn't you tell me it was too cold out here? Yeah. You right. know, we would have done it in the, we would have done it in the parlor. parlor. Right. right. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's like, you can almost play out the complaints, you know, like yeah. before they happen. And like, honestly, I mean, even if you take that, take that level of anxiety on how am I going to receive a complaint today and then almost manage the entire case. And now, now again, I think there's a certain amount of paranoia that can come with that and a negative, uh, you know, yeah. balance. And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can take that inappropriately. But if you just try to take the end on, Oh, I wish I would have known mm-hmm. just that I yeah. wish I would have known. Yeah. Um, I think then I think you, like you had said, Ben, is you're going to fumble through informed consent. Um, mm-hmm. and where I'm at, like we talked about the efficiency of talk path, yeah. um, is it's, I've asked the same questions for 15 years yeah. Well, I stopped asking the questions. I just started telling people the stuff that I always ask, yeah. you know, where it's like, why, you know, if it, yeah. Anyway, so it's 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 yeah. that, that idea where you just become more efficient because you're failing the same way every time, and it's pattern mm-hmm. recognition. So, yes. but yeah, yeah. One thing that you brought up a while ago, but I'm going to circle back to it, is you mentioned something about being average. Um. I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but I, it's interesting because it triggers something in my mind. I don't think it's something that we've talked about, um, on the podcast before, but the whole like concept of being average is really interesting to me because, um, you mean the, the, the one where I said that I think I could train a monkey to do my job. (laughs) <laughs> well, probably also that, yeah. but, um, no, what, so kind of to go along with the, the fear of failure or no, I think it was more related to, um, you were talking about hierarchy and how some veterinarians feel that like, if you're a, a GP or whatever, and you're, you're just like, you're doing your day-to-day job that somehow you're still failing because you're not like exemplary or whatever like ben was saying that it creates this next level of hierarchy because you're not like a specialist or whatever that's sure kind of what you guys were saying yeah um but i just it's interesting because it brought something back up in my memory about um i had had a conversation with one of my mentors from vet school about how i had this fear of being ordinary or like a fear of being just like another veterinarian 
sure. I felt like that I somehow was like letting myself down or whatever if I wasn't like known to be a leader in my field sure. sort of thing. Sure. And I thought it was so interesting because, you know, we had this whole conversation about the concept of being average and I think it sort of goes along with our fear of failure and like why my veterinarians in type A and we're so hung up on this concept of like, and I think it's because it's like almost like we need to be special and you are special, you know, you're special in high school, you're special in college, you're special and you're smart enough to get into vet school and you feel like that path should just keep continuing because um, you're already the cream of the crop, but like at some point, the whole point of being average is that the majority of people are <laughs> like, <laughs> like if everybody was special, then that would just become the new average. And that's sort of like veterinarians. Like we're, we're already the cream of the crop in our field that like now your, your average is just held to this higher standard. And you're obviously going to have, you know, the exemplary people who are the leaders in their field, but like ultimately not everyone can be, that person like I I'm not going to be I mean maybe there's still I've still got time <laughs> but like as far as like being a, a cow veterinarian you know I don't think I'm going to like invent some new technique or you know be the person who cures xyz whatever mm-hmm. um there's certainly people who are capable of doing that in the field but I think you know sometimes you have to be comfortable with just being an average veterinarian <laughs> Yeah, so you know? it, it's uh, the idea of individuality. Yeah, right. So it's it's a matter of individuality and making a difference, right? So um, mm-hmm. I think when we start to look at that, so uh, I know exactly what you're saying and where you're coming from, and I'm gonna maybe take one stone step forward and saying, if what we're talking about, um, you know, within Paw Health, of course, we have our education system. You know, we get up through tier four, and in tier four, we talk about individual advancement and we talk about industry advancement, right? So, part of this individuality um, basically comes down to is where are you going to be able to make uh, a difference? Where are you going to be able to have influence? Where are you going to be able to feel satisfied and have purpose and have well being? Um, within yourself and family and your immediate circle. So when we start to look at industry uh, advancement and saying, you know what, Um, working at that level, working on the local level in one clinic as an associate veterinarian, um, you are an individual who is making a difference in people's lives. Now, sometimes that is a positive difference and sometimes it's a negative difference, but it is statistically probable that you're going to have more positive influence on people's lives through the majority of your career. So for me, I um, I wouldn't actually ever consider the idea of being an average or a just a. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's a matter of saying, oh, I happen to work within the niche that serves this part of our society. It's the same reason why I have an incredible amount of value for people who are in a blue collar job between trade schools and plumbing and electrical and construction. um, They are people that are equally as important in the function of our society and by no means average because they have a very specific job in our society. It's the same thing where we start to talk about this individual advancement or the industrial advancement. So I think what you're comparing Caroline and saying, well, there are going to be some of these outlying 
amazing stars who are able to make a cure for disease X, Y, Z. And it's like, nope, that's just their job. (laughs) You know, like they, they aren't the star. You know, so if we're saying that the individuality of people in today's society can somehow be boiled down to a bell curve um, on statistical outliers and, um, you know, uh, standard deviations and averages and, you know, that type of thing, I think is is, uh, an oversight on the value of each individual within the team and within our individual culture. Um, And that's where I see an incredible amount of value. Mm But right. And the, I, yeah, ahead, I get what, sorry. No, I just, I was like comparing what Carlos said to what mm-hmm. I said. And basically mm-hmm. you're like, what I'm saying is that the, I'm trying to avoid using the word average now, but it's going to happen. <laughs> just the, say it. the, it's the typical, the typical veterinarian, um, the majority of, of careers that are taken in that kind of thing is going to be working in a clinical setting and in a GP but I think the point that you're trying to get across is more what we talked about with um, like job satisfaction and feeling fulfilled sure. in what you're doing. And so I think the issue becomes not, you know, whether or not you're average, it's whether or not you feel fulfilled by what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yes. And if you, if you feel like I'm not special, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I need to be special and, and I'm just doing this. I'm just uh. then that's where the discrepancy comes in and you made a good point or like a good way of bringing up that you know there is no such thing as just being uh because you're always going to be making a difference even in the smallest community yeah yep i would say okay ben you can yeah i was gonna that actually goes right into what i was gonna say also so (laughs) i would uh what i wanted to kind of throw in there was the idea that um i i um, agree with the uh, the fact that essentially a veterinarian from an intellectual level in um, in many, many respects is a 1% type person, right? Yeah. Because when you take the undergrad level to the graduate level to yeah. sometimes even beyond that, yeah. like highly intelligent people, okay? So you're already dealing with a really, really high subset of the population, um, but we're still human. Yeah. And with that, <laughs> there is in our culture, and I would say starting to spread globally, there is a massive um, value put on the idea of celebrity, which only comes sure. with ridiculously high performers. Right. So, uh, you know, just I don't want to use the example, but not everyone can be Kobe Bryant. Right. Like yeah. if you make it to the NBA right. and you are a, you are a essentially a backbone right. of the NBA, right? right? Like you are a, a major contributor to the team that you're on, yep. but not everybody's you're already gonna, the 1%. You are already well within yeah. 1%. Yeah. And then like, yeah, maybe, or, or let's say you're uh you know, a, a left guard on a, on a football team, right. right? Like you're not a skill player. You're not some sort of, you know, like high, uh, high dollar amount celebrity, but without that position played well, the team fails. Right. Right. So like you still have to see the value in that. And then if that is what is average, be perfectly average. Yeah. Like there's, Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, if that's the way that you have to describe it, just be okay with the fact that that's what it is because 
Uh, no, very, very few people are going to hit that level of celebrity. Mm. And you know, that doesn't all, that also doesn't make you immune to criticism (laughs) when that happens. Sometimes the target just gets bigger. So I'd say, you know, when I, when it's not a totally related example, but when my son was born, uh, you know, the doctors would come in or nurses or whatever, how's he doing? He's doing perfectly average, right? Yeah. He's doing exactly as expected, and that's all that I ask, yeah. right? I'm not expecting him to pick up a book three days, you know, yeah. three days into the three world. Like, out, right? he just needs to, you know, kind of do what he's supposed to do and do it well, right? right? Um, yeah. and, and that was kind of the way that I have looked at that throughout the, you know, year and four months that he's been around. Like, right. just just keep along the curve, man, right. because at some point you're going to have your moment to really yeah. just get above it. Yeah. But you have to get to some sort of point um, yeah. as a base level to get there, right? So for, you know, for yourself, Carlo, uh, there was there were many, many years of, although you were, you know, um, it put in the opportunity to have some level of even like a one-to-one celebrity, like, you know, you higher risk cases, right? Sure. Comes, comes with that yeah. um, perceived notion, probably um, not because of your own wording, but as a miracle worker, sure. you know, saved my dog right, type right, thing, right? right? Uh, it, it is that you were still kind of just like practicing likely at an average level and then had a few shining moments along the way. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that because like you still have to see cases, right? Everyone has to receive care at some point. Right. Most of it's going to be average and the average is extremely high value. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, um, that was uh, again, kind of what I was pushing, um, at MSU is like, and you, you have, uh, we, we really focused on the three costs of patient care, right? Oh, sure. And yeah. how only one type of person can provide a true understanding of patient, co- patient care expense. Yeah. And it's like, man, there is so much value in being able to put the words to the person that doesn't understand what's happening yes. in, in yeah. that room, right? Yeah. The physical expense the of the physical patient. expense of the patient. Yeah. They know the emotional expense. Like yeah. they might not know how to handle it, but they yeah. can at least understand it. Sure. And they, they understand the financial expense better yeah. than you ever will. Correct. But from a physical expense perspective, that's yeah. why you grind yourself into the ground yeah. during school and uh, through that mm-hmm. whole process to be able to provide that value. And it, even if you do it on an average level, it's still right. way, way above what yeah. anybody else can do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's my soapbox for the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, but I don't know. Like, is there, is there some, something to be said about like the need to feel special? I don't, I don't know how that works because I've never been that person. I, I've never, uh, you know, I, I do like to shine. I like to win. Um, but ultimately I like the best for myself. And this is just my own opinion. I like the best idea to win. Right. Uh, Right. So I don't, I don't know. I think it, and I don't know, maybe this is just me. This might not apply to like the majority of people because I can only give my own perspective on it. But um, like I said, I think that it sort of stems from the fact that, you know, only the people that are bright enough and driven enough and insane enough to go to vet school are the ones who actually make it. And so from a, a very young age, I was gifted in school. School came fairly easy to me and so like you know elementary school I was in all these gifted programs and whatever and you know you scored so well on the blah 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 standardized test so we're going to put you in this special club and teach you how to play chess because we have nothing else to do with you 
And then you get to junior high and high school, and then you start talking about colleges, and you also have, like, the you start to sort kids, right, into AP classes and accelerated programs and whatever. And so, again, you're special because you're in AP calculus or you're in AP French or whatever, and then you get to college, and, you know, if you're tracking, if you want to go into veterinary medicine, you start taking all those really difficult courses and they give you the whole spiel on day one of you know look around the room and look at the two people sitting next to you and only one out of the three of you will actually make it into veterinary medicine because it's so challenging and like that whole thing so again when you make it you feel special because you're like wow I must really be smart enough and whatever to make it and then I fortunately got to vet school and was like okay I made it now I just have to practice like graduate get my license and practice yeah. I didn't I had zero desire to go on and do more specializing and do residency and internship and all that stuff. So I was fortunate at least that way. But um but yeah, I think it becomes like your brain is just programmed that way where you're yeah. like, "Oh gosh, I must be I must be special again because I've been special my whole life and if I'm no longer special then what am I?" So, I don't know. So are you saying that the people who realize that too late in life or never realize that uh, suffer greater? So do you think that there is a struggle within individuals um, in that regard if they don't recognize it? Probably. I mean, like I said, I had a whole moment where I talked about it with one of my mentors from vet school. Um, I think it was, I think it was when I was practicing in California and it sort of was this moment that I had where I was like, you know, all I'm doing is, you know, checking sick cows and palpating cows and whatever. And I'm not doing all these like things that you taught us about, you know, finding the problem that this farm has been having for forever. Cause we'd go out and do evaluations and, you know, this farm has this problem that's been going on forever. And these are our recommendations and we're going to solve this problem and fix all this you know, all these issues this farmer's been having. And I didn't like have any, there was none of that when I got out of school. It was like, okay, we're going to focus on the technical aspects of what you're doing and, you know, learning to palpate, learning to do surgery, those kind of things, or I shouldn't say learning, but like mastering them or executing them as efficiently as possible. And so I had this moment where I talked to my mentor and I was like, I feel like I'm never going to be like reach reach my full potential or like reach the, what I should be doing. I'm never going to be known as an expert in my field. And like, somehow that's really like unsettling to me. Like, I feel like I'm not, I'm just a, a, like I said, an average veterinarian. And so that was when we had the whole discussion of like, you know, it's not, someone has to be, what did you say? Someone has to be the, (laughs) the left tackle and someone has to be the backbone of the organization and, and allow, you know, other people to do their job where they're going to, you know, find the cure for whatever it is. Um, But, you know, you got to have, you got to have the, the backbone to do those things. So. Yeah. I know um, one of the times I had gone, I was speaking with students kind of to that same, and I think I've actually brought it up in the podcast a couple of times too, is kind of what you're referring to that it's um, yeah, you're always special. You're always special. You're always always part of the elite, smarter kids in school, you know, whatever it is. But it's like, yeah, as you start to like 
cone it down, right? You start to funnel and you start to get, you know, higher and higher and higher into the higher performer. Same thing, uh, like Ben had said with the performance, performance athletes, you know, yeah. I mean, not everyone can be Kobe, not everyone in, in the, in the NBA mm-hmm. is, yeah. you know, so it's like, then you say, all right, well, um, just take any player from the NBA across the board and just put them in a high school basketball game. Right. They're going to destroy yeah. them, yeah. you know? So it's kind of like the same thing is, um, yeah, there is kind of this, um, I don't even know if there'd be a, a, a term for it, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a higher end performance problem where, you know, the further and higher you go up that sometimes that can affect overall self value, you know, or self worth, yeah. um, because you're around people who are finally of similar processing speed, yeah. uh, as we, if not greater than if you. not greater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think gives the opportunity for a feeling of less special, um, which is only reinforced by the hierarchy structures yes. that yes. exist, right? <laughs> yes. So right. We're, this is like the move down from disparagement to hierarchy through deteriorating skill set, boom, right? Yeah. You lost of self-worth, right. right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you've got all of those things going on uh, that all basically just teach you to say, well, actually, I'm not that good right. anymore. <laughs> right. So it's, it's the, yeah. it's the yeah. that's the process. And, and in some respects, I get the break you down to build you back up thing. But yeah. like you had said many, many podcasts ago, it's yeah. like, it's the break you down. They just yeah. forgot to build you back up. Yeah. Part. Yeah. They and, just didn't care yeah. to. Right. So that, but that comes with, um, yeah, there, there is a, a point of practicing medicine that I think humility is really, really important. Yeah. Right. You, you yeah. need to be able to walk into the room and say, I've never done the surgery before, right. but I'm confident in my ability to do it. Right. Like, but yeah. here are the risk factors. That's yeah. humble. Sure. Like, yeah. B- yeah. But <laughs> right. you also, uh, there, there, humility is important, but you also need to be able to value yourself enough to be able to walk into the room and say, I'm confident enough to do it. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a balance yeah. there yeah. Yep, yep, yep. that I, that I don't know if we, you know, when you, when you start to think about how that funnel works and you know, at the end of, at the end of that, only one person is the smartest person in that room. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that can be frustrating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, yeah. like, I, I always think about sports analogies, right? You're absolutely right. E- like every person that plays pr- professional sports was far and above yeah. in most respects, like the best that yeah. they ever saw. Yeah. And then they put them into a different group and it's like, right. well, now I'm a middling. Yeah. I don't know what to yeah. do with this. Yeah. That's what I love about sports stats mm-hmm. when it's like the actual yeah. then breakdown of number. Yeah. And even, and that's, I, you know, for me to even look at that, I even take it one step further and I'm like, what if this person's on a really shitty team? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're going to look like they just run middle. I mean, that's actually a, a, a dangerous metaphor for us coming into the veterinary profession um, is, yeah, you have someone who has the potential to be, you know, another Jordan or Kobe or, you know, anything. And it's yeah. like, oh, they're just in an environment where they can't actually excel. Right. Um, that, and it's the same thing for us. You have someone who's been taught to feel special, be special, you know, act special. Yeah. And then it's, you're just brought into an environment where it's like, well, you're trash now. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, and it's actually, I do want to kind of dovetail (laughs) off of that. And it's sort of related to what we've been talking about, but I actually started reading a book called uh, man's search for meaning. It's from like the forties. But it's about the idea of a purpose driven life, which is, uh, but it's really the origin of that concept. And he was a Holocaust survivor. And one of the quotes that's in the book is um, the best of us never made it out. Uh, Sure. Right. Yes. So Mm -hmm. if you take somebody, um, 
and it actually to go along with that this this last weekend the vet girl on the run she's a very popular yes. social media yes. influencer in our profession yep. um yep. she had a presentation about small business and like success within our industry and not actually sweating the major stuff of like be a be a c student it's okay because oh, yeah. if you're a c student all the way through you're still a doctor at the end of it yes, right yes so yeah. the the idea of putting so much stress on yourself because you know that you can be that 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 last person at the yeah. end of the rope, yeah. like that's the thing that creates burnout. Yeah, right. That's yeah. the thing that's just gonna wear you down to the point where it's just like, fuck it, I yeah. can't do this anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just 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 be okay yeah. with you know getting to the end of the end of the yeah. race. You don't yeah. have to be the absolute best because if you think you're if you think you're the best to the point where you have to be the best, you're probably just going to fail. Yeah. And that, I think if that plays along with kind of what you were getting at, uh, Caroline, which is like, sometimes you just need to accept the fact that you're, you, you're already in the top 1%. Right. I'll just be normal. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I make the joke. I was a human way before I was a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you well, sure? Janessa does call me a robot all the time. But, well, that's true. Yeah. But, but no, I, Caroline, you actually, uh, uh, I, I didn't realize we had the similar mindset, but, um, that was my whole thing. Same thing. Middle school, high school, whatever it was, um, is it was like, you just have to get into vet school. Yeah, it was never there mm -hmm. was never any discussion about you need to graduate like you need to get <laughs> through it. You need to end it. It was yeah. like you just have to get there. Yeah, like just get that's the finish line. The finish line is getting in. Yeah, because once you get right. in, you just got to ride it out to the end. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I was a C student. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you right. know, I mean, it's yeah. all it's all the same. same. Yeah. Did, did anyone ever ask you what your GPA was after you graduated? Uh, I've, nope. I have had some students ask, yes. Students. Yeah. Did oh, anyone who oh, ever students. wrote a paycheck for you oh. ask you what your GPA was? No. Too many yeah. people Carl, need help. Did you ask me what, what my GPA was? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Did nope. I? I don't think I did. No, I no, think, I think, I, I think I did it from like a, a point of discussion. Like, yeah. I don't know what your GPA was, but mine wasn't great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. And that's, um, yeah, it was always just to get there. And I right. think that was another disconnect I've had. I mean, I understand it, but I mean, I, I think some of the, some of the disconnects that I've had is just that constant push to be like, I need to be a graduating a student. It's kind of like, meh. but in your undergrad, you do. Yeah, well, yes, there is yeah. a, there is a yeah. change that you have to go through yeah, to yeah. survive vet school. And I yeah. think that's a portion of it, right. Yeah. Is to just let go yeah. of the fact that it's like, okay, I don't have to be uh what is it? Three, seven, five or three, like some, yeah. some very, yeah. very high number to even be considered. Yeah. to let into this, oh, yeah, this upper yeah, yeah, echelon, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, there's definitely a, a shift there that's, I, I don't know how you teach the, the mental shift that that is, right? No, I, at that point, I don't, I mean, you know, I think uh, uh, Caroline was talking about, you know, ever being eight personalities and then yeah. having to, you know, back down to sort of being average in that regard. It's, you can't teach it. I mean, if you just have these people yeah. who are, you know, it's like, it's it would basically be the equivalent of, bust your ass to get to the NBA and then just coast it to the end. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you right. know, so just there's be that. The, just be the sixth man of the year, four <laughs> years in a row. Right. 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 Just take the paycheck. Just, you know, but, uh, but it's like yeah. you said, it's, it's all part, it's, it's the team aspect. And, um, you know, and I think that's again, where I just bring it back to purpose and well being is that, right. you know, the, it's it's perfectly acceptable to be someone who focuses on individual advancement, even if individual advancement is average in some respect. Yeah. 
Um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, there shouldn't be a loss of value. And I think that's what I was trying to get at, at what you yep. said. There's no loss of value in being average. No. Um, right. Because like you said, the, the conundrum is if everyone was exceptional and everyone would be average, yep. you know, yep. so it's, but yes, I, I agree. I think there's, there's no, there's no loss of value in being average. Yeah. It's kind of funny because you're talking about vet school and getting to vet school and how you learn to just like turn it off all of a sudden. And I don't know, maybe it probably was just a, a matter of like burnout, but Sigh of there relief. was this whole, right. There was this, there was this whole thread. There's probably been multiples of them, but there's, there's this whole thread on one of the veterinary forums about if you had to do vet school over again, would you? And there was all this, it was like, it was like one extreme or the other, either people like really enjoyed it and were like, Oh yeah, like I would totally do it again. Or people were like, Nope, never in a million years. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I was like the actual vet school, like the schooling itself, I don't think I could do again. I even know that just because today we had a a meeting or a a lunch, like a CE meeting at work. And it was only like an hour and a half long and I could barely stay awake. And I was like, I don't know how I was in school for eight hours a day because my, my brain just doesn't work that way anymore. But, um, but like from a schooling perspective, I don't know, it's so grueling to go through. I don't know if I could do that, but like actual vet school itself for me wasn't that bad. And I think it's because I just got to my, I don't give a fuck point anymore. And the people that I surrounded myself with in vet school, thankfully, I think are the people who really saved me. And so if I had to do it all over again, if they were with me, I think I could do it. But if it was a whole other set of people, it would be a different story. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was like that whole support system that we had that really like, like I said, is, is kind of what got us through all of it. But, um, yeah, just getting to that. And, and one of my, one of my, what really nailed it home for me too, was the like the change that switch that flipped. I didn't notice it as much in myself as one of my friends from undergrad. Um, I went to visit her in Texas in my like second or third year of vet school. And, um, we had a blast, like just completely cut loose and like had so much fun that weekend and she was like god i don't remember you being this fun at all in undergrad like you were always so busy and like working and studying and whatever like what happened to you and i was like Funny. i finally made it to vet school <laughs> yeah right. i achieved my ultimate goal right. yes so yep. yeah yep. and that was that was brianna's story as well yeah. You know, she was uh, first year. I mean, we kind of, I don't know if we talked much about her story at all, but yeah, it was basically, she was on that fast track to first year burnout. And it was, you know, we kind of just, when she came up and did her, um, you know, summer opportunity, it was kind of like, what are you doing then? Yeah. Like why, you know, like, you know, look at the, look at the way that we did it and look at, you know, what you're tracking towards and, you know, this and that. It's just like, just, you know, take her easy. And I remember she had kind of gone back. Um, you know, and that was just the, a huge revelation and just saying like, yeah, it's just, you made it, you made it to the finish line, mm-hmm. just coast out to the end. It's going to be hard, yeah. you know, but, um, well, but yeah, then it's the beginning. How much of that process though, is you in the middle of veterinary school is learning how to fail effectively? None. I started saying D equals DBM to myself all the time. B like B as in Ben. D. Oh, no, D. 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 D as in dog. Oh. D equals DVM. Because yeah. I wasn't even. There was a point in my veterinary career where that was 
that was it wasn't even a C was an option. It was more like a D. Like so passing. I mean, it, it right yes. exactly like just literally hanging on by the tips of my fingers and have to like make it through. And not even because because I'm not going to like throw myself under the bus and say I'm not smart enough to get an A in vet school classes. It's literally a, a, a the point of self preservation. Well, exactly. Like I yeah. can't put acceptable more of loss. myself into this. <laughs> Yeah. exactly like i just can't anymore so like we're gonna do what we need to do and then we're gonna move on yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. that's just playing the game you know yeah you just know where you can put it and you know where you can take it you know i mean it's yeah it's just what it is it, but even like that that skill set is one that i think is critically necessary yeah in, in the in just the acceptance of being able to fail and fail comfortably, which yeah. we found a lack of in our own setting. And now as we, mm-hmm. our, our scope of influence grows, it's like, Oh, this wasn't a, what wasn't just us. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah. everyone yeah. that we are coming into contact with. It, it seems to be very, very uncomfortable with the idea of just failing in any way, shape or form, yeah. like yeah. expecting perfection all the time, which mm. is unrealistic and unsustainable, unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, we are kind I, of getting to our hour mark, yeah. and I, I I hate to cut you off there, Caroline, just with the time yeah. frame. But really, like I think that you know, for a real from a realistic perspective, you know, next time that we we get together, we can talk about some of the instances where yourself and Dr. Carlo and potentially Katie, yeah. if she's available, yeah. where you guys basically fell flat on your face yeah. and just mm-hmm. had to brush yourself off, yeah. stand up and just keep yeah. trudging forward. Yep. Because, um, you know, again, thinking about who really, you know, does consume this material being a lot of students, uh, sure, they're, yeah. in, they're yeah. still in that learning phase of like, you know, not really accepting the fact that it's D for DVM. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, you know, being in uh the icu on uh you know on that uh, a club level a lot of them are but there's oh, sure. all, there's a yeah. high high skill set people that are also there that are that safety net that won't let them fail yeah, yeah. right because you you in in their instance the belief is that the, they can't uh, right 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 yeah. yeah or not even that they can't but that they, they shouldn't have yeah. to right yeah. um and and for us like there's been a definite learning curve with everyone um at all levels of our staff of like just us just putting it out there and saying yes please fail yeah please make mistakes because if it's a you mistake like if you missed the process we're going to reiterate the process and you're not going to make that mistake again but you're going to learn from it and then if it's a process error we're going to fix the process but until we get to the point of you failing or you letting other people fail neither of those things can happen and ultimately we hit a uh, a point where we can't grow anymore. Yep. We cannot improve. So um, I'd say just to, to table your thoughts and I'll let you finish what you were kind of going to say there, Caroline, but I think that would be a great place for us to start next time that we get together. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. My only, my only two cents I was going to add is that the book that my therapist had recommended to me that has been sitting on my freaking table for like six months now is called the gifts of imperfection let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are by Brene Brown. Oh, and yeah. she's, um, she's a, a um, LMSW. She's a, a therapy, a licensed therapist yep. um, who's written several books. But if I ever get around to reading it, I can give you a brief book review, but it's one that she had recommended to me because I have a problem of being a perfectionist. Yeah. So, which is funny. Cause you think it's a problem. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to take up uh, too much of our time here. Uh, Dr. Carlo, you got some places you got to be as well. Ah, so, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that was a, a yeah, good little, that's a pretty good little riff. Uh, Caroline, do, uh, we tried last time. How about this week? Do you want to take us out? Sure. All right, go ahead. Hit so, it. You got it. Thanks for hanging out with us today on another Tuesdays with Caroline. And we will see you next time, whenever that may be. <laughs> Nailed it. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, it. Caroline. Right. See ya. Thanks, guys.